Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Lewis, Delaware. This is Ben Olson with me in Tahoe, Nevada. <laughs> State line Nevada, yep. State line Nevada. Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. That's right. Is Nathan Fox. How you doing? Good, man. This is like the vacation version of the show. Well, except for I live here now, but you uh, are at the beach. That's right. Yeah. It's been brutally hot the last couple of days, like 95, but feels like, at least according to my phone, 108. I don't know how they calculate that. So <laughs> aside from everyone getting a little bit burned, including myself, um, we've decided to avoid the beach from 11 to 3. We can go in the that morning. Reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um my second oldest, he got a he got a jellyfish wrapped around his legs, unfortunately, last night. Ooh. That, it's it it looked pretty painful. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes with kids like Did he pee on it? Uh yeah. We used that uh we used that that as well as aloe and some other hot water, <laughs> lots of hot water. I don't think the peeing can actually do anything, can it? Well, they did say that, um, what was it, ammonium? Is that, am I making something Ammonia, up? yeah, is that Ammonia, it? yeah, apparently neutralizes the venom somewhat, as does uh, vinegar. So we didn't huh, have vinegar, okay. but we had balsamic vinegar. it does actually vinegar. do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> wow. saw a video, we, you know, this is when you start, like, you're, like, researching stuff as people are crying. And I found a video by some uh, <laughs> some firefighter. And it was just, you know, if you never create videos and then you have to create a video, you can tell that they're reading a script or something or they've thought through it. So what they say is very natural. And it's like the first thing he says is going to the beach is always fun and exciting. And I was like, <laughs> hold up. Is it always fun and exciting? And then he's like, except when you encounter a jellyfish. But I just couldn't, you know, like, <laughs> process that without thinking about the logic behind it. Like, that's the only time it's not fun and exciting. That would be pretty cool. But anyways. Well, well today, I hope he's all right. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be doing better today. I think we got, it, we got it taken care of pretty quickly. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so today on the show, we have a question about logical reasoning. Is this person's problem a lack of focus or a lack of skill, hmm. or both. Uh, then we have someone who says, I think I found a pearl. Okay, we have lots of those. That's we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, lots of potential pearls out there that aren't pearls. Should I take a gap year? Someone asks, another listener has made an app that we just saw in the App Store. It does exist, and it helps you track law school acceptances. So we can talk about that. If we have time, we'll do a logical reasoning question and Jay's personal statement. Oh, boy. Cool. This will air on Monday, July 20th. Um, the July LSAT Flex will be That's over. That's not right. This will air on Monday, July 27th, 8th, 8th, should that say? Hold yeah. on. Monday, July 27th, that should say. I just read whatever I'm told. This, yeah. You, Annalisa yeah. controls this show from behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't catch it. Well, I was watching something the other day, and they're like, is it? It was a 
meme or something. It's like, is it Monday or is it, is it Wednesday? What day is it, honey? I was like, yeah, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what's going on. Um, but today actually is Thursday. Now that I think about it. On Friday, August 21st, that's when the October LSAT deadline is. So you have a month or so to make that decision. The August LSAT flex is on August 29th or starting August 29th that week. And okay, yeah, that's it. Email the show at help at thinkinglset.com. Send us your selfies if you are willing to do so. Leave us a review on iTunes. That always helps a ton, and they're fun to read, good or bad. Uh, you want to take this first email from Carlos? Sure. Yeah, this is from Carlos. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I love your podcast, The Demon, and your overall advice in every aspect of the law school admissions process. Whoa, every aspect. That's awesome. Quite a compliment from Carlos. Starting off strong (laughs) with the ass kissing. Um, I have been studying the LSAT for about two months with the intent to attend law school in the fall of 2021. I have a solid 70% or better drilling percentage in all three sections of the LSAT but I have yet to reproduce that on an actual LSAT. My highest LSAT to date is a 153. You know what, Ben? I want to stop there for a second. What do you think about a 70% drilling percentage in the demon? Well, unfortunately, that doesn't tell you anything because the demon is trying to keep you around 70 to 80% accuracy So if you do worse than that, if you start getting only half the questions correct, it's going to drop down the difficulty level of the questions that you're drilling to a point where you're better able to handle the material. And then if you do better than that, if you start getting 90 or 100% of the questions correct in drilling, then it's going to give you harder questions so that you have more of a challenge, right? It's saying, no, you're doing well. So the percentage accuracy is actually not that helpful. What's more interesting to me is the difficulty level that the demon has decided to give you. Uh, that If it's higher, it's on a scale of one to five. And if it's closer to five, then that means you've been getting questions correct and the demon has picked up on that and given you harder questions to compensate for your success. Okay. So 70%. I mean, should students be shooting for something higher than that? They should be shooting for 100% accuracy in drilling. They should try to get that. They should right. try to get every question right. But they, they, like, in terms of the stat that's displayed, it's going to be very hard to move that. <laughs> you'll, you'll only be able to get there once you also peg the difficulty. Yes. Right? You'll, you'll be able to get to 90%. accuracy only if you can do that on the LSAT's very hardest questions. Nonetheless, you should still shoot for 100% accuracy on, you know, one question at a time. You should Mm -hmm. be getting getting them all right, and you should be trying to get that percentage number to go higher. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, my highest LSAT to date is a 153. Okay. That being said, I have a big problem in LR. I can answer 17 questions and get 14 or 15 correct. But the moment that I attempt to answer 20 questions or more, 
I somehow managed to get four or five incorrect questions in a row. I can't seem to shake this problem. How can I fix this? Do I just continue to beat myself over the head with LSAT drilling, or is there something else that I am missing? Thanks in advance if y'all are able to get to this. I wish you and your family's health and safety. Please refer to me by my first name if this makes it into the podcast. With great regards, Carlos. That's a nice email. Thank you, Carlos. Um, I have thoughts. Yeah. I think students fail to realize how important it is to actually shoot for 100% accuracy, especially at the beginning of each section. Mm-hmm. When Carlos says that he's able to get 14 or 15 out of 17, that's actually not as good as Carlos thinks it is. Correct. You know, it especially if it's 14 out of 17. Yeah. Making three mistakes on the 17 easiest on average, the 17 easiest LR questions. I'm assuming, by the way, Carlos, that you're doing the questions in order. If you're skipping around, that right there is part of your problem. But I'm going to assume that you're just starting at the beginning of each section. And if if you're getting 14 out of 17, you seem to think that's good, but I actually think you can do better than that. Yeah. And I think if you do do better than that, that's the easiest way by far to improve your score. Cleaning up, you know, if you're if you're missing three out of the first 17, those three, maybe one of those is hard, but I guarantee you two of those are easy. Probably all three of them are easy. Yeah. But I'll, you know, benefit of the doubt. One of them might be a little tricky, but two of them are are mistakes that you just can't make if you want to improve. You know, if you want to get to 160, you can't be missing those questions. Yeah. And so, Carlos, instead of trying to get 20 questions or more, you got to get paid for the ones you're already doing. Your problem is that you're skimming the surface. You're not going deep enough into each one of those questions. You're wasting time on those questions because you don't spend enough time on those questions to make sure that you actually get paid for them. I mean, a missed question is the world's worst waste of time. So what what Carlos has to do to get to the to the point where, you know, eventually Carlos, I hope you can get to 20 questions. But if you're going to get to 20 questions, I want you to get 18 or 19 of those right. And you you can't if you miss 3 of the first 17. It's not possible. Yeah. So, you know, the the fastest route to improvement today is to just get two more of those that you're missing in the first 17. And once you can do that, it, the the student who excites me the most, then they might not be like the most naturally talented student. You know, it's not like the, we, we see people, Ben, who are kind of like us, who show up on the first day of LSAT class and finish the section and get 23 points on LR or whatever. You know, they're like those people are out there. And we can help those students with the ones they're missing, but they're not missing that many, you know. Mm-hmm. The students that we can help a lot and the ones that really excite me over the years, the ones where if I can get a student who <clears throat> used to get, you know, let's say they get 15 points on the section or something. You know that student who finishes the section but misses 10 of them? Yeah. If I can get that student to slow down enough and get them to do only 15 questions but get all 15 of those right, mm-hmm. 
that's the like that's the one that makes me like my eyes light up you know as a teacher it's like oh so now you've realized that the test actually makes perfect sense all you have to do is slow down and be more careful and just clean up all of those stupid mistakes you're making Mm-hmm. And from there, we can really improve. If you can get 15 in a row right at the beginning of the section, the next thing you know, you can do 16 or 17 or 18 and just kind of take baby steps, but stay focused on accuracy the whole time. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, maybe that student never gets to the point where they can finish the section. But maybe they get to the point where they do 21 questions and get them all right. Mm-hmm. And if they did, that's a just crazy dramatic improvement in their score. Yeah. So anyway, Carlos, I think you can do less work but get paid more for it by just slowing down and focusing on accuracy. I agree. I would say that's also the that's the path to doing more questions eventually because really right. your speed is a function of how well you know this test. It's right. also a function of your just overall smarts, your intelligence, your ability to process information. But you don't have a whole lot of control over that. What you do have control over is how much you know about this test. And the way you learn more about this test is you slow down and you don't get anything wrong. You don't, when you're reviewing questions too, you don't just say, oh yeah, that makes sense next. You say, whoa, I still am not convinced that B is wrong. And you dig in until you figure it out because there is really nothing subjective about these answer choices. They may feel subjective to you and you may say, okay, shoulder shrug, I guess I just have to accept that. No, there's something you don't understand. Whenever I take a vote on these things and people are like, yeah, 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 but but, but, but C, C is making this assumption and answer choice D uh, is making this other assumption. And I'm like, yeah. Which assumption do you think is more reasonable? And when you make them explicit, I don't think I ever come across anyone who disagrees. They disagree until they realize what they're comparing and they realize, yes, this answer choice is actually objectively better. The student in that situation also was almost guaranteed doing the, doing the test too passively in the first place. Yeah. If you, if you constantly find yourself between two answer choices – your problem is that you're leaning on the answer choices to explain it to you instead of <laughs> predicting the answer in the first place. Yeah. It's it's the f- fundamental paradox of the LSAT is that I'm going to go slower than most students reading the argument in LR, mm-hmm. reading the passage in RC, yeah, and setting up the game. The students are always working on the question, looking at the answer choices before I am. But I'm always done answering the question correctly before they are. Well, what's going on there? Yeah. Well, that's because I'm the master of the argument in LR. I'm going to tackle, I'm going to attack that argument. I'm going to know exactly what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Then when I read the question, I'm going to, Make a prediction. I'm going to think about, oh, okay, well, it's a strengthened question. I've seen the problem with the argument. Here's how I would patch up that hole in the argument. And half the time or more, I've predicted exactly the answer. Yeah. On reading comp, I read the passage once, 
but I read it very well. I'm engaged, actively thinking about having a conversation with the author. And then when I get to the questions, oh, shocker, they're all easy. Yeah. Because I read the passage well. On games, maybe I take four or five minutes setting up worlds, you know, really making inferences. And then the questions are trivial. And it's that it's students think that they need to race the clock. They do it on all the different sections of the test. It's because there's a lot of real bad LSAT advice out there at telling people that they need to race the clock. Mm-hmm. But that's the irony, right? That's the paradox is if you slow down in the first place, the test becomes easier and then you have no problem with speed. You go plenty fast because you were slow in the first place. If you do it the other way around, if you try to rush through, you know, it's just like you're running into court unprepared or something. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be successful. You half-ass it. Don't really know what you don't really know your shit. Next thing you know, you're stumbling and scrambling around. You know, students just—that's like their default mode is to go straight into the answer choices. And then compare A to B to C to D to E. <laughs> like three of them are complete garbage. Yeah. Probably four of them are complete garbage, but they'll be able to convince themselves that one of those wrong answers is like credible. And then, the, then you know, maybe they, they, they also recognize that the right answer is credible, but now they've got two competing things and they're comparing them to each other. <laughs> and meanwhile, the people who are good at the test just predicted the answer in the first place. Anyway. Carlos, you'll improve today if you just do fewer questions but get them all right. And you'll also improve tomorrow if you maintain that, you know, <clears throat> extreme high level of accuracy. The goal is 100%. Yep. On the questions you've attempted. Yeah. Thanks Carlos. I think we can really help by the way. That that right there, Carlos, I no reason why you can't be in the 160s in 2 or 3 weeks if you actually take that advice to heart. I think you will find that's potentially just dramatic like night and day improvement yeah but you you get it like 70 percent ain't good maybe it is in the fine in the demon because the demon's adjusting difficulty but 70 percent of the questions you attempt on a section suck that's not good yeah <laughs> that is not good you, we need 95 percent okay pearls versus turds so so far we have um eight pearls 35 turds and 16 ties you know, we really need theme music for Pearls versus Turds, Ben. Okay. Adam. I'm, I'm assigning <laughs> Adam Day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, Adam. Give us a slick little, you know, guitar riff with the falsetto Pearls versus Turds I can't stinger. Even, I can't even try to <laughs> do my own little. <laughs> Anyways, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Today's uh, potential pro, uh, Arturo, uh, has written this in. Um, Hello, Nathan and Ben. I've been a fan of the podcast for almost a month now. Whoa. You haven't left. We haven't offended you enough (laughs) to leave. Well, just keep listening. Um, And I would like to get your feedback on what I consider a pearl. For the last two weeks, I started implementing a new sort. Oh, (laughs) sort of. Sort of drilling. I was like, a new sort. Okay, we're going to sort things. A new sort of drill to my LSAT studying. It consists of reading an LR stimulus 
one that has an argument, then rather than going immediately into the question stem, okay, I try to tear apart the author's argument in as many ways as I can. For instance, what the author failed to consider, assumptions needed to make the argument valid, must be true statements from the author's premises, etc. And yeah, this usually takes around 15 minutes per question. Here's my thought process hmm. behind it. I often find myself reading an LR stimulus and not being actively questioning the author's argument while reading. I feel like, especially with harder questions, I rely on the answers to tell me why the argument is wrong, which is what Nathan was just talking about. And yeah, you and Carlos both, and everybody else. That's super common. Yep, that's how everybody starts out this test. And not so much my intuition. I believe that with this drill, I force myself to forget about question stems or the context of the stimulus. And the context of the stimulus. I don't know what you meant by that. but And strictly focus on dismantling the author's argument in as many ways as I can. I am hoping that with this drill, it will eventually become instinctive for me to question the author's argument while reading the stimulus. I've just been studying for the LSAT for a month, so maybe with just drills and practice tests, this questioning will eventually become natural for me. Am I just wasting my time with this, or is this a pearl? Um, he says, thanks for the badass podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad you think it's badass. Uh one thing you always have to keep in mind is that there's this principle that you want to practice like you're ultimately going to play. And so I don't want you to do too much of something that you ultimately won't end up doing. But I actually think what you're describing is going to help you learn how to do this in real time as you continue to do it. If... I mean, because it's what essentially, I think, at least I'll speak for myself, I'm doing as I read these arguments. And I think, Nathan, you would agree that we're attacking the argument, but we're doing it faster than a lot of people because we've done it so much. We can, we can almost sense what the conclusion is because we've read so many of these that as we're reading the argument, we're like, wow, that kind of sounds like the conclusion and we also recognize that it might not be, but by the time we're done with the argument, we're like, yes, that definitely was the conclusion, and this is why it's shitty. Um, whereas when people are first starting out, sometimes they're not even clear what a conclusion is, so they have to take time to just even decide what it is. And then once they know, oh, yeah, that's the conclusion, then they have to decide whether the evidence for that conclusion is supporting it. Like It just takes them longer to process these things. And so as long as this keeps getting faster and easier for you, I I think you're on the right path. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned about the 15 minutes per question. Mm -hmm. Like, are you overdoing this? If we take Arturo at his word, 15 minutes is, that's pretty ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The arguments in logical reasoning have three sentences, maybe four sentences, you know, there, there's... Normally, there's two or three premises, sometimes just one premise and a conclusion. I just can't imagine that it could take that long to find the conclusion, find the evidence for that conclusion, 
and then just make some objections, you know, to think to say, what about this? What about that? Hey, I think you're assuming this. So I'm 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 slightly concerned with the 15 minutes thing. I, that that does sound like potentially a waste of time. It could be. I, it really depends on how much he struggles with reasoning. Because I do know sometimes when people are first starting out, like I'm reading an argument and it's going from correlation to causation or something like that, and you know the student is grappling over what the conclusion is, and it's like okay. You got to walk through some of that stuff. So I, I don't know where he is, and I it, it could take some people this amount of time to really own it and feel confident about what the evidence is, what they have to accept is true. I still get questions from people who are have been studying for a long time, and it's like, oh, I have to accept the premises is true, but I don't have to accept the conclusion is true. I'm like almost surprised when I turn around and ask him that. So, Yeah, I mean, if if this is the you know v- very beginning of your process and it takes you 15 minutes on an LR question or two to do this kind of a thing, okay. But if, if it's a month later and you're still taking 15 minutes to go through an argument and find the evidence and find the conclusion – I'm worried that something's going wrong there or that maybe I'd hate to say this, but like you, some people are just fighting an uphill battle. Uh, you know, I, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this isn't the test it, for them. Huh. Potentially at, at a certain point, it's like, man, is this because ultimately like where we're going with this, mm-hmm. you know, you need to score a one sixty or higher in order to get a scholarship to law school. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to get there, then we don't think you should go. Like we are the theme of this show, the tagline of the podcast and the tagline of the LSAT demon is don't pay for law school. And I hundred percent genuinely mean that <laughs> Like, don't go to law school. If you can't get a scholarship for law school, yeah. unless you're rich, whatever, if you're rich, I don't care. But if you, if you're a normal person and you're going to be borrowing the money, you shouldn't go unless you're going to get a full ride. And if it's going to take you 15 minutes to do an LR question, you know, um, maybe at the beginning, very beginning stages, okay. But eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do at least, you know, 18 or 20 of these in in 35 minutes. Yeah. And so you're going to have to get that process down to two minutes or or a minute, one minute. I mean, it's only three sentences. So eventually you should get to the point where you can read that stimulus or argument. For Oh, by the way, also, one thing Arturo is doing here, it looks like I think he might be selecting questions that do have arguments in them. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do that on the test. You're going to you're going to be taking it's going to be random questions, right? So in ultimately in 90 seconds or or maybe 2 minutes, you're going to have to see a new question read that statement, figure out whether there's an argument. Yeah. Find the conclusion if there is an argument, find the evidence. Mm-hmm. And then make an objection. And that needs to you need to get that process down. Hey, if this is if this is going to get Arturo there, then great, by all means. I can't imagine though like advising someone to take 15 minutes to work on an argument. Yeah. I don't know. 
Anyway. Yeah, um, well, I wouldn't advise them to. But I would advise them to get good at figuring out whether it's an argument and if it is, what's wrong with it. I mean, it's possible that Arturo is also just like trying to come up with 10 problems as opposed to just the one, two, or three obvious big ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half the questions have one glaring flaw or one glaring hole. Mm-hmm. Half the time, it's just like, hey, did you think about this? Yeah. And when you make that first objection, hey, what about this, though? That just turns out to be the answer. So if Arturo's really taking 15 minutes to try to come up with the ninth and 10th objection that you could make, why? Yeah. <laughs> the first one was probably the answer. The first one the first one was probably the answer. I do think that when people are starting out, a lot of times they will jump all over. They finally get this idea, oh, I got to jump all over the argument. And they jump over something that I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's a problem, but... Can you step back for a half second? What else you got? Yeah, it yeah. looks like there's something a little bit bigger here, and they're missing that, and they need time to figure that out. But yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, it's kind of a. <laughs> I'd say it's a tie. tie. Yeah, like the your your intent is good here in the sense that you're trying to to own the argument, and I appreciate that. I'm I'm not sure if you're implementing it exactly as you should. Yeah, I mean, I think Arturo could instead just be drilling in the demon, right? When you drill in the demon, it's going to give you a question. Mm -hmm. And then you could just, for sure, cover up the answer choices, spend all the time you think you need with the stimulus or whatever, the Mm -hmm. passage, the argument, Mm -hmm. right? Figure out whether there's an argument. If there is, make an objection, make two objections. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to make 10 objections. I think you need to make a couple. Yep. Or one, if there's one big, real obvious one. Yep. You need to make that one. And then you need to go into the answer choices, find the answer. If you don't find exactly your prediction, then you need to step back maybe, think about it. You know, and then and then just don't click submit until you think you're getting it right. Mm-hmm. And, if, and I think if if he just focuses on accuracy during his demon drilling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't be driven by the answer choices. Be driven by the argument instead. Yeah. I guess that's how he'll know that he's doing it right, is that half the time he should be predicting the answer. That's for all questions, by the way. That's not just for that's not just for like flaw or weaken or strengthen. That's that's for all the questions. I mean, you should be definitely predicting the answer for main conclusion questions. <clears throat> Very frequently, you can predict the answer on a must-be-true question. They'll just have premises together, you know, two, two facts that lead to this other fact, and you, if you tune in, you can combine those two things together. Mm-hmm. You should be predicting the answer frequently, even on, like, role questions or um, just reasoning questions. What did they do? And you should go, oh, well, they had an analogy. And sure enough, that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, thanks, Arturo, very much. Cool. So we have another one here from Beth. Should I take a gap year? I think it's me. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, it is. 
Nathan and Ben. Hello, my name is Beth, and I am a rising senior taking the LSAT Flex for the first time in July. I took y'all's advice and registered for the July instead of the June because I just didn't feel ready when the deadline came around. However, I'm still feeling wildly unprepared. Not just in regard to taking the test, but also financially. This is eating me up. I am a good student and a hard worker. I have a 3.9 GPA. I have had two or more jobs during college. I'm writing an honors thesis, and I've been dedicated to my campus involvement. I've served as a tutor, tour guide, and orientation leader, and the president of our pre-law fraternity. I held an internship in a DA's office, and I am positive I want to be an attorney. <laughs> Parentheses. Does any of this even matter when I apply? Yeah. You want to start with that? Yeah, it matters. Um I mean, part of your, it doesn't matter as much as your LSAT and your GPA. Your G, well, you did mention your GPA, but um, it still shows a seriousness uh, and ability to juggle a lot of shit, which attorneys and law students have to do. But really, the stuff that's going to matter is the fact that you did all of this. Not, not necessarily any one thing is going to stick out, I don't think. I think it's more just, look, I could handle a lot of things. The president of the pre-law fraternity plus the internship in the DA's office gives her the evidence needed to support her conclusion that she is positive that she wants to be an attorney. Yeah. You know, that claim, I'm positive I want to be an attorney, well we get people who say I've known I, when I was three, I wanted to be an attorney and that's just bullshit. Like we don't care about that. That's you didn't know three year olds don't know what <laughs> kindergartners or whatever, don't know what attorneys do, but you've actually worked in a DA's office. You were the president of the pre-law fraternity. You are demonstrating to the school, a track record of you've been focused on this stuff. You have an, you have a better idea than many other applicants, what you're getting yourself into and all that matters. Yep. The 3.9 matters more. <laughs> and the LSAT matters even more than that. So you have an opportunity, Beth, in front of you to demonstrate to the schools. You've already been doing it with your work experience and with your, you know, all your extracurriculars and with your grades, most importantly, mm -hmm. you've been demonstrating to the schools that you have the seriousness of purpose, commitment to this whole thing that it really takes to be a lawyer. Yeah. Or to be successful in law school and to be a lawyer. Yeah. It's a great start. Now you just have to do that same thing except for with the LSAT. And then you're going to be an excellent applicant. Like you're going to be a standout applicant if you get the right LSAT score. Yeah. With a 3.9, she could get into literally any law school. Any law school. Right? It's like, I don't even care where you went to college. I don't care what your major was. Just show me a 170. And now we're like in business mm -hmm. at the top 14. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So I have a feeling this is going to take a dark turn though, because she seems stressed out. Yep. I say all of this to preface my question and explain why the thought of taking a year off is crossing my mind. Which, by the way, I mean do it. Yeah. It sounds like this is going to be a big problem. It's not a problem. It's a great thing. <laughs> Complete no brainer. Yeah. If you think you should maybe take a year off. Yes. Take a year off. 
you're you're still in undergrad. Take two years off. There's this underlying principle you have to understand. When you answer a logical reasoning question, we're telling you to slow down, understand it, and own it. That's true in logical reasoning, reading comp, and games, and it's also true in life. Just slow down, get it right, and then <laughs> yeah. fucking kill it. Like, I can't imagine yeah. rushing into this process with a 159, I don't know what score you have right now, but like a 165 uh, even, and you're going to sell yourself short when you could go for free to a top program and have all the options open to you. Dude, take, even if it's two years off, mm-hmm. you know, finish up your great, finish up with your 3.9. See if you can turn that into a 3.95 <laughs> in this, you know, she's, she says she's a rising senior. Yep. So she's got a full year of grades ahead of her. Yep. We want straight A's your senior year. Yep. Take all the time you need to get your, to get the correct LSAT score, you know, to open the door to the top 14 law schools with a scholarship, you're going to need a 170. But this is the type of person that with a 170, she could potentially get admitted to Harvard and then turn Harvard down to go to Michigan instead to get a full ride to Michigan and a $10,000 a year stipend. Yep. And if she applies with a 160 instead of a 170, none of that happens. Nope. She doesn't even get admitted to Michigan. You know, she could get a scholarship still to some regional school. Mm Mm-hmm. But she's got, with those grades, you know, she's a legit contender for the top 14. And so there's absolutely no reason she should be rushing into this. And if it means she has to take two years off or three years off, I don't care. There's no, (laughs) law school's still going to be there. Yeah. Kids, you know, it's it's, it's the irony. Uh, Time passes slower for younger people. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why younger people are always in such a damn hurry is because they feel time takes forever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got to get moving or something. A year. I can't wait another year. A, f- a whole year. And then when you're our age, a year is like, Oh, you mean yesterday? Yeah. You mean like absolutely not even a thing? Like wait another year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. That's how it's been this it's summer just, too. I always feel like summer was longer and it's like, now it's like, wow, it's July. It's going to be August. It's going to be over. I don't know. Time will pass faster and faster the older you get. But I don't know that that actually makes sense to a to a younger person as far as advice-wise. That, that might make them feel even more like they have to hurry because, you know, time will go faster later. And I, I don't know. But it's the difference between going to law school when you're 21 or when you're 22 or when you're 23 or when you're 24 or when you're 27, for that matter, it makes no difference whatsoever in your long-term life. No, nope. it's just not. It's not even. That shouldn't even be a consideration. Yeah, we're not. We're not in the tech field in the sense that you need to drop out of Harvard like Mark Zuckerberg and catch this wave or miss out. Right. This is an old, established <laughs> yeah, right. field. Right, right, yeah. And it's also not like, you know, you 
well, but I have to go to law school now because there's changes that need to be made in our system and it's important that I do it right now. Well, you're going to feel that exact same way. Like literally every single person who works in politics, I've never not heard them say, this election right now is the most important election ever. Yeah, That's always the case. Everybody who works in politics thinks that always. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if you'll, you know, whatever, we have no idea what Beth's career goals are, but if she has some people she wants to help or whatever she wants to do, that'll always be there. Yeah. And the law firms will certainly always be there. The law schools will will certainly always be there. And there's just what difference does it make, Beth, if you practice law for thirty years or you practice law for thirty one years or you practice law for twenty nine years? This is the beginning of your legal career and you really want to start it off on the right foot. That means go to the right school at the right price. And you don't do that by rushing. Yep. It is not, okay, the taking the year off. It's not because I am unsure of this career path or because I am not capable of doing this. It's just that I want to do this right. When COVID came around, every aspect of my life became harder. Parentheses. I know, Crimea River, it did this to everyone. This made my once hectic but manageable schedule very difficult to juggle. I fell behind on my studying. I know I can still make a good score, but I want to make a great score. This past semester, I began receiving many scholarships, and I will be taking out zero loans for my senior year, and was able to spend zero dollars on my LSAT fees and prep, double exclamation point. I have gotten a taste of what they will give me, and now I want more. I want to go to law school for free or next to free. Mm -hmm. Love all that. Sounds like you're doing it right. You're starting to get rewarded for it. Now you're getting greedy and you want even more? Good. <laughs> Good. All right. Now that I have given you both my train of thought, my question is, what are the consequences of taking a year off? Will my letters of rec expire? No. Will it look bad once I apply? My parents act like it is the end of the world. I want to take this time to save money for school, my rent, and living expenses, as well as rock the LSAT and get the highest score possible. However, the thought of not starting law school until the fall of 22 pains me, as does the thought of living at home for a year. However, I feel like I am in a car speeding down the highway at 200 miles per hour. Would it be terrible to step on the brakes? Thank you for reading my dramatic email. Sincerely, Beth. Man, if you're really going 200 miles an hour, I think it might be too late to step on the brakes. Hmm. <laughs> or if you do, you better do it very gently. Yeah. People's parents need to chill out. People's parents need to listen to the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm I'm surprised that her parents, uh, you know, you wonder where people get these notions. Like what what is driving that? What um, What philosophy did her parents adopt growing up that, you know, oh, Next, keep going. Got to go to the next thing. Maybe they're worried about. They want to keep her. Yeah, they want to keep her on the right track. They think that school is good. They think that this is the inevitable next step for her. They don't understand the law school admissions game for sure. Yep. They have, you know, they they either they're <clears throat> not lawyers or they are lawyers, but they went to law school thirty years ago before the game was what the game is. You know, Beth. 
play this segment for your folks. Uh, honestly, have your dad call me. Have your mom call me. Like I'm, I'm happy to to try to talk people out of making stupid decisions about law school. And if they're pushing you into this, they are really pushing you down the wrong path. I'm happy to talk to people's parents about this shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, listen, she's going to get 10 points higher on the LSAT. And when she does, she's going to get $100,000 more in scholarships. Or she's going to get herself into an elite level school that she can't get into with her current level. She absolutely should take another year off. How many and get the very best? How many kids her can. age can make a hundred? Actually, it's really more than a hundred. It's it's right. like one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in one right. year's time. Kids right. these days, at your age, most do not do that. Most people don't do that. Yeah, so I mean, she might at right now. Who knows? You know, just putting. Let's say she right now with a one hundred and sixty, she could get into a mediocre school like Hastings. Mm-hmm. You know, and get it, and she could go go there and pay full price yep. to a mediocre school, a regional school, and or she studies for another year. She improves her LSAT score by ten or fifteen points, and she ends up getting a stipend to go to Michigan, mm-hmm. which <laughs> would like, then also lead to other opportunities. That's what I'm saying. It's like not only the full tuition, which is worth one hundred and fifty grand. But the $10,000 a year stipend that schools like Michigan will pay for truly exceptional applicants, not only that, but the career opportunities that Michigan will afford you that the likes of Hastings just simply will not, Mm -hmm. which is worth untold amounts of money, right? Like potentially millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, I have a theory here. I could be wrong, but my my oldest son tends to est- underestimate how long things will take, um, hmm. and I kind of am closer to him. And in, okay. in since that, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, like I have to get somewhere. It takes literally 22 minutes to get there, so I leave 25 minutes before." And then you know things take longer to get out of the house, and then I'm like, "Shit." And I'm like racing, and I'm there like three minutes late. This always fucking happens to me. Cutting it close, yeah. yeah. And then, but I'm always because my head. There's like something that like underestimates how long it will take. My second son, he always overestimates by like threefold. So mm. if I just take whatever two times they give me and I average them, it's about <laughs> how long it'll take plus a little bit of extra time. Right? It's just like just uh-huh. right. So I wonder if Beth, given her three point nine and all the stuff she does in her life. I wonder if she overestimates how long things will take, which is why she feels like she's speeding down the highway and she's like, whoa, I need way mm-hmm. more time. And her parents are used to this and they're like, just chill out, just go. Like you're, you're, you're giving yourself way too much time where in reality, look, a year might be too much, but you only have two options, right? Either go now or go in a year. And so go in a year because maybe it only takes you six months to get to that score that you want and you have an extra six months, but it's so much better to be ahead than to be behind, especially at the beginning of your career. Yeah. Let's work backward. You know, if she was going to start in 2022, Mm -hmm. ideally she's going to have her applications in, in the fall of 2021, which means she starts taking the LSAT no later than, early 2021 Mm. which means you know i don't (laughs) she's not it's not even like she's ridiculously early yeah for that yeah i think beth it, it it seems to me that like 
the ship might already have sailed. I, I mean, it sounds like, you know, she's looking to force in. She's signed up, she says. She signed up for July. Well, I guess maybe she took it, right? Because we just had the July flex. Mm-hmm. But, Beth, there's absolutely no reason not to continue studying for the LSAT. A little bit at a time is fine. You know, an hour a day, most days, you should be making progress. Keep your grades up. Keep chipping away at the LSAT studies. Mm-hmm. A little bit every day for a long time pays off on the LSAT. Like you should easily be able to get to perfect logic games that way. If you just do kind of a game a day for six months, yeah, eventually you're going to be badass at the games. Yeah, and you know LR and RC will fall into place as well. You start take you take the official LSAT. <clears throat> you know you don't need to take the official LSAT this fall. You already took it once. Whatever you can push that off now. Keep your grades up. Shoot for the official LSAT this coming spring and summer and have all your ducks in a row to apply at the very beginning of the next cycle. This is the thing that she probably doesn't really realize either. If you apply in September of 2021, you will have offers in September or October of 2021. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you'll be living at home. Yeah, you'll be taking a year off. But you'll know where you're going to school, mm-hmm. you know, or you'll you'll have offers to compare. You'll have you'll be able to you'll be in the negotiation process. <laughs> it's gonna all just be here before you know it, anyway. And then once you know where you're going by the end of 2021, you'll be able to start deciding where you want to live. You can start preparing for your first year if you want to do that. Read, getting to maybe how to excel on law school exams. Mm. Just go into law school and know what's going on and beat everybody that first semester, which again is an important semester yeah. in terms of grades. Super important for your just, whole career. That first semester is so important. It's such a bummer to sell yourself short. Yep. As far as letters of recommendation, no, they will not expire. If you do something really interesting in your gap year, you could always, or I guess at the in your senior year, more like, if you do something really interesting over this next year and you want to get an updated letter from somebody else who you've met, great. But you don't need to. It's, if you're going in with academic letters, that's totally fine. Yeah, I may, you know, and the living with your parents thing, I get that. Like that, that can definitely suck for someone in their twenties, but or someone older than. 14, that can definitely suck to live with your folks. But maybe if they realize that, you know, you apply in September and you start having offers rolling in in September and October and they know, oh, okay, she's going, Mm -hmm. you know, once they see the inevitability of it, then maybe they'll lay off a little bit. But otherwise, yeah, have them call us. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, anything more for Beth? No, thanks for writing in. Good luck. Uh, This next one. Uh, This is the one about the app. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I realized over the course of applying to law school this last cycle that the process could be categorized simply as having many separate parts. For example, the many status checkers that must be logged into separately and checked individually. So status checkers, this person is referring to the websites at different law schools. It's annoying. So I fixed it. I created an app along with a friend who shared the frustration that simultaneously checks an applicant's statuses to each school 
that they applied to. It's as simple as that. I wanted to share this resource with other prospective law students to help simplify the process of applying to the schools and hopefully decrease the general neuroticism surrounding checking statuses. Anyways, here's the link to the app. Check it out. It's free. So the name of the app, by the way, it's probably easier just to search on your phone, is, hold on, I just downloaded it. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, the app. But it's called Law School Status Checker. Yep, and that's all it is. You download it. Uh, you can add schools that you've applied to, and then I'm assuming probably your login information. And then there's a refresh button, which allows you to refresh, and it will go check those schools and tell you the status of your application. Um, it has a red X and a green check and a yellow bar. I'm assuming that's like accepted or denied or waiting or something like that. Um, I do have some advice for you, JB. I would drop the ads <laughs> and charge a small fee for your app. I just, I absolutely hate ads in apps, but. Cool. Law school status checker. Um, happy to shout out uh, listener made stuff. We, we're, we're entrepreneurs and we love entrepreneurs or people who just go out and do shit, mm -hmm. make shit. Yeah. Solve problems. So. That's awesome, yeah. Good luck with the app, JB. Should we do this uh, LR question? Let's do it. I'll read the argument, and you can tell me what you think about it. Cool. This will take about this 15 is, uh, minutes, right? Um, we'll see. That was a joke, but anyways. No. <laughs> oh, I see. I see what you mean. <laughs> Sometimes it takes us a lot longer than that when it's the two of us. But <laughs> Let's do try an experiment. I'm going to read through it once, and then we'll see what you think about it. Okay. This is uh, Test 65, Section 4, question number 7, and it says, The ruins of the prehistoric Bolivian city of Tiwanaku feature green andesite stones weighing up to 40 tons. These stones were quarried at Copacabana, which is across a lake and about 90 kilometers away. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to stop there. Are you thinking anything at this point? Yeah, so initially I was just kind of imagining these big stones sitting amongst ruins, right? Mm -hmm. And then they said, hey, they were quarried from across a lake about 90. So in other words, far away and over water. And I'm like, okay, so it already feels like this is going to get into some sort of mystery about how the heck did these heavy stones get over here. That's what I'm guessing. Yep. And I think the mistake that people make is they, you know, they're like andesite. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know, what I don't know how to even say yeah. that. Copacabana, where, what, who? And they're just, they're getting caught up in details of shit they don't understand. And instead, Ben is imagining a giant green heavy ass block being transported 90 kilometers over water. Mm -hmm. And he's immediately going, huh, Wonder how they did that. Yep. Archaeologists hypothesize that the stones were brought to Tiwanaku on reed boats. Okay. <laughs> ben, you know, Ben is, he's, he's primed for that because he predicted that. He predicted like, well, they're probably going to talk about how the hell they got these 40 ton stones, 90 kilometers across a lake. Yeah. So, and then, and you know, that's a reading comprehension tip, right? Is to predict what you're going to read next. Mm -hmm. So you did predict, 
And you were right. So you're primed to receive this new information that, oh, yeah, we are talking about this hypothesis from some archaeologists who think that they were brought there by reed boats. And what I, do you think about reed boats? I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking of those like, you know, you like strap these reeds together. And I'm like, yeah. really? For a 40-ton fucking rock is sitting on top of a reed boat? Like, right. maybe they made some fucking amazing reed boats. But right now, I'm like, yep. I... I'm having trouble seeing your hypothesis. Yes, yeah. which is yeah, and I think that's correct. You, you know, you're you're going wow. Those would be some bitchin' <laughs> reed boats. Like that's that's pretty sweet for 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 prehistory. Yeah, this was a prehistoric Bolivian city. Mm-hmm. Dang reed boats. To show this was possible. Experimenters transported a nine-ton stone from Copacabana to Tiwanaku using a reed boat built with locally available materials and techniques traditional to the area. Period. That's it. (laughs) So what do we think of the researchers' hypotheses? What do you think about how they've tested these hypotheses? I'm trying to figure out whether my son can... um pick up these weights. So I'm going to give him a weight that's a quarter of the size and see if he can do that. <laughs> like, right? Like if he could do the quarter, yeah. then he could probably do the weight that's four times heavier. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Um, nonetheless. Sure. You know, you should be able to sort of make both arguments, right? Yeah. So I like that. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, hold on a second. These tones, these were stones were up to 40 tons. Yep. But you only did a nine-ton stone. That's only a quarter of the weight. But what's the other argument? The other argument is they were they did it. It's possible. It's a nine-ton stone. Still very heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, um, your whole objection of like what reed boats? Mm-hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. Well, they in fact did transport a nine-ton stone <laughs> using a reed boat. Yeah. So it might not prove that they could carry a forty-ton stone. True, I'm. I'm still kind of. Go, I'm going. I. I agree. It's providing some evidence. At the same time, I'm still like, man, that four times heavier. That could be enough mm-hmm. to sink the ship. Sure. And if one of us was a lawyer for one side and the other one was a lawyer for the other side, we would have a spirited debate about what this really means, you know, and we would either easily be able to tag, like switch teams and still make the arguments on the other side. Mm -hmm. Right. That's really how you should be tackling these arguments. Okay. So the question then says, which one of the following would be most useful to know in order to evaluate the support for the archaeologist's hypothesis? Hmm. Any thoughts about that question, Stem? Yeah. So this is asking us, what would you want to know? Not that we're necessarily going to tell you. We're just saying what information, if you did end up finding it out, would be helpful. This is a little different than, say, like a strengthen or a weaken question, but it is, it is related to that. Yeah, it's an eva- you could call it an evaluate mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. right? Wh- basically, which one of these five is a good question to ask? Which one of these five matters if we're trying to figure out whether the the support for the hypothesis, which by the way was this thing that they did with the nine ton mm-hmm. stone, mm-hmm. 
you know, <clears throat> they used locally available materials, they used techniques traditional to the area. Which one of these is a good question to ask if we're trying to evaluate whether their experiment actually justifies or or actually does tend to support um, their hypothesis? I have two questions right now. Okay. My first question is the one that I've been ranting about, which is, okay, well, if you can do it for nine tons, can you do it for 40? Is there some mm-hmm. way to figure that That's out? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second mm-hmm. question I have now that, like, it's specifically asking me to evaluate the support for the hypothesis. I'm looking back at the support and it says using a reed boat built with locally available materials and techniques traditional to the area. Um, I, I guess it's, it's like, it's almost like the LSAT's inviting us to kind of look at that like specific stuff. And I'm like glad that they're using things that are available. It'd be weird if they had used stuff that was, <laughs> from somewhere totally. else, you'd be like, okay. Oh, yeah, we imported this stuff from Mexico, and it, yeah, that wouldn't be good. That would be good. But the one thing they didn't really kind of make clear to me was whether this stuff was available prehistorically. I mean, gosh, how long yeah. ago was this? So I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about like the time. I love that second objection or that second question, which was, yeah, these are locally available materials now. Mm-hmm. But were these reeds actually even locally available in prehistory? Yeah. Real good question to ask. If they were, it makes the argument better. If they weren't, it makes the argument far worse. Mm-hmm. So that's how you know it's a good question to ask. Yeah. Okay. So A says, whether the traditional techniques for building reed boats were in use at the time Tiwanaku was inhabited. So that's like a variation of what we were just talking about. I was thinking about the materials themselves, but this is actually referring to the techniques. They said they use techniques traditional to the area, but just because they're traditional techniques, like how long ago? Since the 60s? (laughs) Right. Oh, totally. For prehistoric times, I mean, God, that was so long ago. Yeah, so I would keep this one open. I'd want to know if they were available back then seems like a great question to ask. If the answer to A is no, it makes the argument look far worse. If the answer to A is yes, it makes the argument better. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that's a necessary assumption of their argument. Mm-hmm. Right? And so necessary assumptions are points of weakness. And we could be arguing about that. If, if we were lawyers on the opposite sides of this argument, we would love to argue about that. Yeah. B says, whether green andesite stones quarried at the time Tiwanaku was inhabited were used at any sites near Copacabana. I don't, I don't really care. If they, were, if they were, great. If they, what does that tell me about their ability to be transported elsewhere? Just, and if they Nothing. weren't, then, oh, okay, they could be transported, but where? <laughs> It, it's a fact that the stones were quarried at Copacabana. So if they built using some of those stones next to Copacabana, nice. If they didn't, who cares? It, doesn't, it just doesn't do anything. Yeah. It has nothing to do with whether they were able to take, use reed boats to transport these things across the lake. C, whether reed boats are commonly used today on the lake. <laughs> I don't care about today. 
No, they've got fiberglass now. They've got steel now. They've got whatever they've got now. Who gives a shit? If they still use traditional reed boats, nice. If they don't, whatever. They've moved on to better shit. Who cares? It doesn't have anything to do with whether they did this transportation that we're talking about yeah. in prehistory. D says, whether the green andesite stones at Tiwanaku are the largest stones at the site? What if there were bigger ones? That doesn't answer the question as to how these were transported. Yeah. If they had giant granite boulders that weighed 400 tons that were quarried there in Tiwanaku, that doesn't change my assessment of whether these green andesite stones came over by reed boat. Just don't care. E, whether the reed boat built for the experimenters is durable enough to remain usable for several <laughs> years. <laughs> Maybe they transported them and it literally disintegrated after they did. We wouldn't yeah, care. Yeah, it could have been a one-time use reed boat. Or it could have been a thousand-time use reed boat. Who cares? Was it created by Elon Musk and he made it a reusable <laughs> rocket? <laughs> yeah. a reusable reed boat? Or was it made by somebody else? Trump. <laughs> the answer is A here because when the answer to A is yes – uh, then it helps the argument. Basically, it makes a necessary assumption of the argument explicit. Yeah. And when the answer to B to A is no, it devastates the argument. That's how necessary assumptions tend to work. Mm -hmm. The opposite of a necessary assumption kills the argument. So A is a good thing to fight about, and that's why the answer is A. Yeah. All right. Let's do this personal statement. Here, I'll read the email, and then you read the statement. Sound good? Cool. Okay. Yep. Hey, Ben, Nathan, and Annalisa. Uh, first, I wanted to thank you guys so much for the podcast and The Demon. I used The Demon to self-study for about eight months and went from my diagnostic 156 to a 173 on the May test and now a 180 on the June test? God damn. Okay. A lot of people would be elated with their 173. Nice work. There is no way I could have gotten to where I am without the demon and the podcast, and I recommend both to everyone I meet who's studying for the LSAT. Well, thanks, Jay. That's awesome. I know your schedule is probably packed, but I wanted to submit the first draft of my personal statement to the podcast for you guys to destroy. I feel like it's in a good place for right now, but I know that there's always room for improvement. Yes, there is. Hopefully you guys won't hate me for a few of the rules I knowingly broke. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I tried to be direct and show, not tell. Right now, I'm just worried that it reads a little dry and doesn't show enough of my personality. Hey, that's almost never necessary. Any feedback would be awesome. Thanks so much and praise the demon. Jay. Lawyers don't need personality. <laughs> no, they need to get <laughs> shit done. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, knowingly breaking some rules, huh? Hmm. Well, we'll see. All right. In third, oh, by the way, hold on before we get there. Um, congratulations on the 17 point improvement from a 156 to a 173. Sometimes people are devastated when they see 156 as a diagnostic. Mm -hmm. It's an awesome diagnostic score. People improve by 15 points or more regularly 
I feel like the demon is just killing it. We're hearing people with these huge improvements. Like we constantly are getting emails like this. Yeah, we are. I mean, it does follow science, <laughs> right? Like science <laughs> yeah. has showed you got to study around this time and review yeah. immediate feedback is good. And the demon does both of those things. Well, let's pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Our explanations are the best. We understand the test the best. We are the clearest at explaining exactly why you missed that question. Here's why the right answer is right. Here's why the wrong answers are wrong. And if you just drill in the demon and just make some mistakes and then watch our videos, read our explanations, you're going to realize that it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And you're smart. You're a good hard worker. You're a good reader. And 156 is a fine diagnostic, but you eventually made it all the way up to a 180. Yeah, that's because the test makes perfect sense. Yeah. So congratulations on all of your hard work and thanks for, you know, continuing to refer people to the demon, um, for the rest of your life. We, we appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to help. Um, all right, here comes the personal statement in third grade. I helped my mother build a water reclamation pond to recycle runoff from my school's parking lot. <laughs> there's what's the rule? What, there's a there's a broken there's a rule broken there. Rule but I'm here. not third grade. I mean, there's part of me that's skeptical. Like we're gonna be, we're always no matter how good your statement is, we're gonna take it from wherever it's at and try to take it to the next level. And I'm just thinking, um, how much of your mom basically made this happen, right? Like, yeah, your mom just told you, hey, help me with this, and you're like, okay, yep, but okay, um. Anne Levine is very clear. She's like, I don't want to hear about high school. Yeah. And if she doesn't want to hear about high school, she definitely doesn't want to hear about third grade. (laughs) You just don't have a a lot of autonomy. I mean, is this going to connect into like environmental stuff? Maybe. But even then, if you've done so much shit for the environment since then, there's plenty of other stuff to start with. Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to make the other case though. Okay. Um, if she pretty quickly transitions to what she's done as an adult, okay, make her, you know, even if it's college, but if it's like doing real shit in the world as a college student, when you do have autonomy, if she makes the transition quickly, then I might get the picture of a lifetime committed to these issues. Yeah. And it is kind of a fun, interesting little story, a water reclamation pond Mm -hmm. at your schools from your school's parking lot. I mean, that's kind of cool. And, you know, I like that it's, um, it's a short sentence. The subject is I, Mm Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot, you know, if you follow most of the rules, then you sometimes do get to break a rule. And so I don't hate it as an opening sentence. I'm in, I'm, I, I do want to read another sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Frequently we read the first sentence and we're like, oh my God, shoot me. I do not want to read the rest of this. Yeah. I read that and I went, okay, yeah, I, I give you another sentence or two. Mm-hmm. All right. We planted native reeds and grasses to filter the water and feed it into the surrounding protected marshland. That's what I had in mind when you told me you built a water reclamation pond. Yeah. Okay. 
so it's not really telling me that much new. Anyway, while I played in the mud, the pond began reclaiming water for the local ecosystem. Okay, we're really like stuck in third grade now. Yeah, I might get to the point, yeah. you know. As the pond compounded its impact over the years, recycling millions of gallons of water, I would expand my own interest in conservation. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Ben and I are both throwing that sentence in the garbage can. Sorry. It's all telling. As the yeah, as the pond <laughs> compounded its impact is a phrase we don't need. I mean, it's a fact that that the pond recycled millions of gallons of water. I guess that's showing, not telling. But you then, I would expand my own interest in conservation. That's purely a conclusion. And we were here to hear facts about you, not conclusions about also, you. Also, it doesn't have anything to do with the pond. It's not like the pond's no. compounding its impact over the years is influencing you into making your own interest. It's a stretch. <laughs> it's stretching to be like artsy. It's artsy-fartsy. That's what it is. And it's out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, second paragraph. In college, I merged my interest in the climate with my love of the English language developing a passion for eco-poetry and environmental literature. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, breaking the the, the word passion, <laughs> no. You don't get to use the word passion. I don't I don't care how good of a writer you are, which, you know, Jay definitely is a good writer. Um but that's not a good you don't the reason just don't do you that. never ever need to use the word passion is that when you have passion you can show it because you've done things and when you don't then you shouldn't be saying it it's tell yeah instead just get to the facts if you want to talk about eco poetry and environmental literature that's fine get to the point though without the conclusions You've already said I would expand my own interest in conservation. That's a conclusion. Now you're now you're merging your interest in the climate with your love of the English language. I hate developing the phrase a the love of the English language. That itself is telling. Oh, you love our language? Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get to the point. Okay, the theorists, activists, and poets I researched challenged me to think critically about both my place in the natural world and humans' dual ability to cultivate and degrade its systems. I mean, maybe. This might work for Yale, right? Like, oh, I'm right. putting together the great themes of humanity. That's what I'm starting to think now, is that this is an, a, a personal statement specifically for Yale, mm. where you're like, I'm going to become a law professor. Mm -hmm. I have a 180 on the LSAT. I probably have perfect grades. I'm applying to Yale and I'm going to get them excited about my ability to be a law nerd. Yeah. You know, and my ability, like I'm an academic. Mm -hmm. If that's your story you're telling, then maybe that's a real hard story for most people to pull off, but I could see this working for, for, for Yale specifically. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. After, I mean, to me, it's like super boring. I would never want to hear <laughs> this. Not, you never <laughs> but, went to Yale. <laughs> that's why we don't go to Yale. Yeah. Okay. After graduating, I volunteered at Redacted in Newark, New Jersey, a nonprofit firm representing conservation organizations and communities seeking environmental justice. <sighs> that's a lot of words for something that's probably on your resume. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I'd rather hear about what you did there than just after graduating, I volunteered at, and then tell me what the organization is. That's like a resume bullet. It's not a story. Yeah. My first project for Redacted was to help write an amicus brief for the New Jersey Highlands Coalition in response to a town's complaint submitted to the Council on Local Mandates, parentheses, C-O-L-M. Wait, 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 hold up. Do you ever use C-O-L-M again? That's what I, yep, I'm scanning down. <laughs> I don't see Nope, it. never used again, which means we don't need the acronym. Nope. Okay. My mentor, DG, explained that this complaint, though small in scale, could potentially dismantle the Highlands Act, colon, a law preserving open forest in the Highlands region which filters water into aquifers, ooh, this is terrible, for over 6 million state residents. The way you wrote that, it's like the law filters water into aquifers. Yeah. You meant the forest filters water into aquifers. Yeah. But it sure could be read as the law filters water into aquifers. Word count time, mm-hmm. 37. Probably need to stick to a hard limit of 30 words per sentence. Dude, when we that break rules, there. we break like one or two at most right. per personal statement. You've tried to break like six at this point. Just stop. Yeah. Shorter sentences are going to – that's just – you're always going to get in trouble. That colon in the middle of the sentence there is not helping you at all. Mm-hmm. you you, you got to divide that up into multiple sentences and make it clearer. That's just way too hard to I don't to know read. if we need all this either. <laughs> yeah. I Well, I yeah. The subject of that sentence is your mentor. Yep. And what's your mentor doing? Explaining something to you. Hmm. Cute. I thought we were here to hear about you kicking ass. Yeah. Not to hear about you getting stuff explained to you. <laughs> You're getting schooled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. The town argued that the act was an unfunded mandate because it imposed uncompensated costs through a loss of rateables for the town. I don't know what rateables are. Do you? Nope. I feel like all this could be written in much simpler English. Like the act was not the act was um, not enforceable or implementable. <laughs> That's not even a word I would use, but we couldn't implement it because we didn't have the funding to do it. Instead, it's like trying to be all legalist. Anyway, what are you doing about it? Yeah, I'm here to learn about you. I don't yep. give a shit about in some environmental conflict that happened in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I give no shits about that. I I mean, I understand that these things happen, but like what I want to know what your role is. Mm -hmm. D understood that the town was trying to avoid critical environmental restrictions so that they could develop protected land for profit. Earlier, she used her mentor's abbreviation as DG, but now she's going to call the mentor just D. Well, I wondered if that can't be right. If this has been changed, <laughs> right? Redacted for us? Yeah. Maybe this is just redacted. Yeah. Even anyway, so, you don't need to be naming. Yeah, you're referring. To, so you have to refer to someone more than once. It's like I, I don't know what's going on. It's not your story. This is this is about your mentor. Mm-hmm. 
D under the verb there is understood. It's again, it's so we have the, your mentor telling you, explaining something to you, and then now we're getting into your mentor's mind what they knew. The complaint could set a new precedent for towns to disregard the strictures of the Highlands Act and weaken its authority across the state. I'm like, yeah, lawyer shit happens, like environmental law shit happens all the time. What about it? What's your role in it? I don't, I, this, this is way too much background before mm-hmm. we get to what you actually do. Mm-hmm. My assignment was to collect evidence to invalidate the town's argument. Passive construction there with was, mm-hmm. right? The subject of that sentence is my assignment and the verb is was. Also, almost universally, when we come across things like this, like my job, my duty, my responsibility was to do X, Y, Z, aside from the fact that it's also passive, it takes you out of like an active role. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm saying the same thing, but. Well, the edit I, here is so obvious. I, yeah. I collected evidence yep. to invalidate the town's argument. Why did you make my assignment be the subject of the sentence and was be the verb when you could have used I as the subject of the sentence? That's one letter instead of four words. And the verb can be collected instead of this was to collect. Mm -hmm. All right. You collected evidence. Great. You did a thing. Great. All right. First, I poured over our state constitution to determine whether the act could be considered an unfunded mandate. (laughs) Do we buy this? No. (laughs) She's pouring over the... Right. Like you're a constitutional scholar now? You're like, hmm, let's see. You're an expert on your state's constitution? You can't just read a constitution and know anything about what it fucking means. You have to understand the precedent and all the stuff that's interpreted it since then. In fact, in the and you're not going to pour over it. Sorry, you're not going to pour over the Constitution. You're going to pour over one freaking clause in it that someone told you might be related to funded or unfunded mandates. And it would have to be cases interpreting the state's constitution, not just the actual words of the state constitution. Oh, no, no, no. That's why we all argue about the Second Amendment because it's as vague as okay. fuck. In the Highlands Act, I located a 10-year fund created to offset costs to the region's municipalities. If the town had not been included in this funding, I could understand their complaint, semicolon. However, I found further evidence that the town had availed itself of this funding since the start of the program. I thought I had found my linchpin. You could have just used a period and a new sentence there instead of the semicolon. Yep. Don't really see how the semicolon has helped you at all. Um, okay, so she found my linchpin. I brought my findings back to D. That's the mentor again. <laughs> I brought my findings back to D, and while he agreed with me, he said we needed to develop more arguments. I felt frustrated. Ugh. It seemed common sense to me that they were in the wrong and their complaint would never be approved. Now all you're doing is looking naive. Why are you trying to look naive on your personal statement? And frustrated over one setback. You did some research and someone's like, no, you got to do some more. And you're like, ah, like that's legal practice over and over and over again. I get what Jay is trying to do 
with this, like, so Jay thinks that they are being humble here with mm-hmm. like, look, I'm capable of learning. See, I was naive, but then I learned. Mm-hmm. Well, just get to the after the learning part. I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I know you were naive. Literally everyone is naive before they go to law school. This is this is like the most mundane. It's the it's the most like predictable, common, basic, obvious thing you could possibly be is naive about the process. Mm-hmm. Like you you got frustrated because you thought your your side is clearly in the right. You know, it's like think about what this is now. It's a college kid who's an environmentalist from birth or from third grade anyway. Yeah, passionate <laughs> about the environment. And thinking that they can just go in and read the state constitution and just be like, oh, well, clearly we win. Oh, yeah. The environment. Because I'm a lawyer here. already. Yeah. And, and then your mentor's like, well, no, that's not how that works. Yeah. It's just, you're not doing yourself any favors with this anecdote at all. I, I strong hate this anecdote. <laughs> He's getting um, explained again. They're going to wonder if D is available for law school. <laughs> wow, this D sounds like they're really on it. Man, can we hire D? Okay. D explained that even in cases where things appear clear cut, part of law is working until your argument is completely bulletproof. And it's like every single person who reads this already went to law school. They read that and they go, yep, no shit. Mm-hmm. What about it? What are you, you're like, Mo, this was a learning moment for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a learning moment for us. With this new goal, I continued my research to evaluate and refute every part of the complaint. I argued that the... See, you could have just skipped all the learning part and just gone right to... I continued my research to evaluate and refute every part of the complaint. 100%. You could have said, you could have said I, I, I found this key thing. To be sure my argument was solid, though, psh, I did this X, Y, and Z. We don't need to know. Cut D out out of this completely. Yep. D is mentioned in like three or four different paragraphs, and D does not need to be part of this personal statement. Mm -mm. I argued that the town's claim of a loss of rateables could only be considered a theoretical loss because the land was undeveloped, semicolon. I found alternate avenues for petition and review, which the town had failed to pursue, Semicolon? Semicolon. What? <laughs> I argued that their complaint was presumptive because of because the constitutionality of the act needed to be addressed by a higher authority, period. The final collaborative brief was 26 pages long. Why is that mentioned? <laughs> okay. Your semicolon privileges are totally revoked. It's obnoxious that you're doing this. That There was no justification for that. Those could all just be periods. Yep. There's, this is not any reason to do that. You, you know, you could, in theory, just put semicolons the entire time for the entire fucking statement. Yeah, <laughs> it could be like technically correct. That doesn't mean you should do it. It's obnoxious. Yeah. And then I totally agree with Ben. Twenty twenty six pages is that a lot? I, Why I, wasn't actually, it two hundred and sixty pages? I, I don't know. And I feel like a good brief is actually short. It's like you you get your main <laughs> right. argument and then you get Why couldn't you just say it in two pages? Yeah. I, that's a, a totally irrelevant detail. <laughs> Look how much I Jay, work. Jay I think thinks it's impressive, right? Yeah. Like, hey, that was a 26-page brief. <laughs> don't care. Uh, 
<laughs> it's not an impressive <laughs> detail. Okay. In the end, the township delayed deliberation several times and eventually rescinded their complaint. My brief was never used. What? (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of work and no one took advantage of it. (laughs) A sense of relief yet disappointment veiled the office. Whoa. Veiled? Came down like 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 a bridal veil? Like you can't. That's that's not the <laughs> maybe cast a shadow or something like that, but not veil. Veiled means like hid, like we couldn't see your office anymore wait, they, because of this sense of relief yet disappointment. Wait, also a sense of relief yet disappointment. Why? Why are they disappointed? Oh, because they didn't have this opportunity to change the 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 act for so many other people or something, huh? Relief because the Highlands Act remained intact, oh. but disappointment that our work went unseen. W- what? <laughs> yeah, that's like a wah wah. Like you're whining about you did all this work and nobody ever got to see it. Twenty six pages. Won. On the one hand, you're trying to tell me that you're like this committed environmentalist, and this seems like it was a win for you. But now you're sad because your work you didn't get credit for it. <laughs> didn't get credit for the win. Is that what that's about? I don't think that's a good look. Still, this experience showed me a core principle of public interest law, colon, preparedness. Dude, you don't want to – if you're going to use anything there, it would be an M dash, not a colon, for one word. It's weird. Also, you're now telling <laughs> lawyers their own fucking business. Stop telling me shit I already know. Stop acting like you're a lawyer. You learned the core principle of public interest law, preparedness. Listen, preparedness (laughs) is like the price of admission for any type of law. It has nothing to do with public interest law specifically. It's any type of law. A core principle. A core principle of public interest law, Ben. I don't know if you knew this about public interest law. Wait, tell me. Preparedness is very important. Wait, is – hmm. Okay. What about (laughs) – yeah, what about for uh, corporate law? I mean – it's probably not a Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Jay's an expert in environmental law, uh, public interest law. Yeah. Specific, you know, oh, not. public interest law. Yeah, okay. Jay wouldn't presume to be an expert in other kinds of law, just <laughs> public interest law, where I'm preparedness, sorry. Ben, is a core principle. <laughs> Dude, this is taking me back to the man with kind eyes almost. It's like instead of Chinese characters, we're getting like <laughs> revelations about – Anyways, sorry. This bit is this is another rule that's broken. You know, Jay is like <laughs> gleefully breaking all of the rules, <laughs> and it's just not. It's not. A good, it's not good. It's this is not. That's not a good way to do this. Yeah. Uh, um. You're an excellent applicant. You know, a 180 LSAT and awesome grades. You know, like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this like you submit this to Yale and they're just like, yeah, sure, you're in, <laughs> just because. Fucking why not? You you're an awesome applicant in a million other ways. You right? haven't you, know, the, you haven't the, disqualified yourself. Like you sound right. like an idiot, but you also don't sound like a felon or you know completely right. out there. So they right. probably read this and be like, eh, well, whatever. Like all the other students, they're naive and they'll we'll 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 shape them yeah. up once they get here. 
this might work. Nonetheless, I think it sucks. Yeah. And it's specifically, but I mean, and it also could keep you out. Like mm-hmm, I could see mm-hmm. someone reading this and going, oh, another naive, young, passionate, telling me, by the way, that that they're passionate. And, and another young, passionate environmentalist, we got thousands of those. Mm-hmm who think that they're already lawyers mm-hmm. because of one internship that they had. Mm-hmm. And now they're telling me that preparedness is a core principle <laughs> of public interest law. <laughs> and it's like, I'm fucking a lawyer already who, <laughs> I don't know. All right. <clears throat> As we create a more sustainable future, there will be countless entities trying to flout environmental laws and practices being one step ahead. M dash even if it means dedicating time to work that is never used, M-dash, is part of the path to sustainability. Oh, my God. It sounds like you're crying, right? Like, uh, I know, even if I do work, they won't be seen. It's for the good Again, of the yeah. cause. Yeah. Again, whining about the fact that your brief, your, your whole beautiful, precious 26 pages that didn't get used, but you drew a core principle from <laughs> Also, this is this is going broader. It's like you're not just an expert in the law; you're an expert in, well, I guess it is kind of law, but like policy and how this all works and how the system works. And you're just like, as we move forward in the future, this is something like, you know, a former president might talk about, <laughs> someone who's been there. I also think that they need to. Jay needs to leave the politics out of this. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. As we create a more sustainable future, there will be countless entities trying trying to to flout flout Mm -hmm. environmental laws and practices. Do you know what those entities will have working for them? Lawyers. Do you know where those lawyers went to fucking law school? Yale. Yeah. (laughs) They will have the very best lawyers from the very best firms in the country and those lawyers went to fucking Yale yep, and Harvard and Stanford. And there will be lawyers from the exact school that you're applying to who will be trying to help these entities not flout environmental laws, but rather cope with unreasonably restrictive, <laughs> you know, from their perspective – all these rules and regulations that are just here to kill our business and they don't do anything, you know, they don't help the environment. All they do is crush the economy and interfere with people's property rights. So this person is like, it's too political. It's it's like they're too much on one side. So then they can't even recognize that they're potentially insulting the person who's reading the personal statement. Yeah. Or at least not recognizing the nuance that lawyers love to struggle with. Like, the world is not black and white. It's gray. There are trade-offs. Right. It's, making you look, it's making you look naive like you were when you went and you read the Constitution and you read the Highlands Act and you thought, oh, clearly we win. When you use the word flout here, it's as if you didn't learn the lesson that you said you had learned. I mean, <laughs> the whole point of law school – and really kind of the whole point of lawyers generally is that there is no correct answer. Mm-hmm. There's two sides. And the people with the better lawyers are going to win. 
And now you bring in this whole third grade thing, and you're like, man, you were raised by an environmentalist mother who basically exactly. uh, has imbued this worldview into you, and we're going to have to shake it out of you and help you see that if you want to win your environmental cases, you've got to see how the other side is sincerely and not necessarily criminally flouting <laughs> or at least grappling with environmental regulations. Yeah, you're like tipping your hand that you're going to be, you know, they make their living off of corporate lawyers. Corporate lawyers do not defend the environment. And you're like you're like telling them in your personal statement that you're not going to practice big law. Well, they make their they 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 exist because of big law. It's not like you can only go to law school to practice big law, but I don't think it's a feather in your cap when you're so clearly already decided what team you have to work for because of like it's morally right. And it, and the statement is assuming that the reader also agrees. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I like the, like, the I, Yeah, yeah, rah rah. The word choice with flout there is uh I don't like it. Yep. Okay, last paragraph. Pursuing a degree in law, I hope to learn the skills I need to follow this path. Cut. <laughs> Why do people say this? I don't know. That's such a terrible sentence. You No shit. You are going to learn skills you need to follow the path toward law when you go to law school. There's learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. The future of environmental law will be dramatically altered by a changing climate, growing tensions between local, state, and federal authorities, and the increasing uncertainty of international climate accords. Dude, ironically, you did not use semicolons in a sentence that demanded that. <laughs> yeah. You have three items in your list, and within those items you have commas, creating a whole slew of confusion. Yeah. Anyways, and you're like a profit policymaker here. You're lecturing me about the future of environmental law, but you're not an environmental lawyer. I'm not interested in your opinions on the future of environmental law. Nope. I mean, I was here to learn about you. Hey, look at this. It does talk about Yale at the very end here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Prediction, yeah. Programs like the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy and the Environmental Protection Clinic would prepare me for this Ugh. burgeoning field. You're an expert in what they're going to do for you? You don't know. Yeah. With its commitment to progress, innovative thinking, and diversity, Yale Law would provide me with the foundation I need to pursue the change I want to see. This person needs to follow our advice and just tell us about what they did, the work they did, not commenting on it, not crying about it, and then just say, I want to continue working in environmental law, which is why I'm applying. <laughs> We're like 10 for 10 on people writing in with like, Oh, I've, I know all your advice and I didn't follow it. So now I want you to read my personal statement and tell me what you think because I'm the exception to the rules. No, you're not. 
10, 10 for 10. We have not yet found anybody who is an exception to any of these rules. I come away from this, like, what do I know about Jay? I know Jay has a 180. So I'm very interested in Jay mm-hmm. as an applicant mm-hmm. to the top, top, top. Yes. Yale. We, you've Stanford. Brought, you've caught our attention. And now we're looking at you and we're saying, geez, Louise. With your 180. <laughs> and we would presume also awesome grades. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope to God, awesome grades, because otherwise you're just not getting into those schools, period. Mm-hmm. Um, with extreme exceptions, but not you. Yeah. Not any, not, <laughs> if you're listening to, no, it's not going to be you. There are exceptions. Not, not, we're not all exceptional though. Um, so great LSAT, great grades. You're, you, sh- you should be in there, but we're here to learn about you. What have we learned? Hippie mom, environmentalist their whole life, didn't one legal internship and now thinks they're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And is rubbed the wrong way <laughs> by being asked to do extra work and not getting credit for that work. Thinks they learned some great big lesson because they wrote a brief that wasn't used. <laughs> Only sees one side of legal arguments, like was naive, but still kind of seems to be naive. Yeah. I don't know, it's just not the story I would tell, man. I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if with the right LSAT and GPA, which the LSAT's already there, right? So if this is a 3.9 and a 180 and they apply to Yale, it's not like it would be, oh, burn, Nathan. I did get into Yale with this personal statement. That's not, that's not a burn. That's like, yeah, you're a great applicant and you should get in. But you would be getting in despite this personal statement, not because of this personal statement. 100%. And – You'd be getting in with like, okay, let's accept them as opposed to yes, like please come, um, yada, yada. And, and let's not just talk about Yale. Let's just talk about all your options. Like you're going to decrease your options or at least the money you get with this personal statement. The fact that, that, that they threw in Yale at the end here feels like a transparent cut and paste from the – Yale website. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there specific. Like you named two programs that I guarantee are on Yale's website. That doesn't do anything. That's not, that's not helping anything. Yeah. And you didn't make me, I didn't get the sense. I thought where it was going in the beginning was that this was going to be one of those like really academic focused, like a big ideas focused type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And instead, it turned out to be much more mundane, like, yeah, I actually worked in a law office and then I learned some things. But, and then like a lecture about how important environmental law is with some vague shit about how the law is going to be dramatically altered in the future with random prediction about – with no evidence. I don't. Yeah. Start over and tell us a story about you doing something. I mean – the writing the brief could be the thing, but it can't be whining about how the brief wasn't used. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be like about your contribution to the team or pick a different topic and just talk about something else you did. I don't, I don't know, but now, now I really don't like the beginning either. I don't, I'm really not liking the, the third grade, uh, third grade water reclamation pond anymore. Because now it's just like now. Now I'm. I. I. I, I that's kind of ironic too. Is like I have no idea how old this person is. This person could be thirty. Mm-hmm. But I'm picturing them as 
20 years old, like still in undergrad environmentalist their whole life think that that somehow qualifies them to be a kick-ass environmental lawyer. Yeah. I'd like to hear more adult stories about things you've done, things you've achieved, I think is where I'd go if I, if I could. Cool. And if you are actually 20, then that means, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to tell me stories from shit you did in college and maybe this one work experience is the best thing you've got and that's totally fine. But the, the tone of it needs to be much more about like your contributions to the team rather than the like broader lessons learned about the practice of public interest and environmental law. Yeah, which you really have no authority okay. talking about. Exactly. Yep. Wrap it up there. Let's do it. Thanks again for writing Thank you very in. much, Jay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do like reviewing these things and talking about it. And we do hope that you write a kick-ass statement. I mean, we want you to go there, have them excited about you because you're your LSAT GPA, and then read your statement and say, hell yes, we need this person and we need them now. This this statement is going to make them go, well, we need, yeah, okay, let's think, I'll think about that tomorrow, you know? It's or maybe the next day. We'll we'll take a look at this in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, please go to Yale. We want you to go to we want you to go to Yale or Harvard or Stanford. We want you to kick ass as a lawyer. <laughs> we want you to then refer people to the LSAT demon that helped you get your 180 for the rest of your life. Like we want you to be successful, and um, we want you so, to solve yeah, I mean, environmental guess, problems. We agree that there is environmental totally. problems, but th- the way you're approaching this makes it seem like you're not ready for your competition because your competition sees the nuance that you don't see. Which is why you got frustrated yeah. when your supervisor said, hey, you got to go back. And you're like, what? It's obvious. No, it's not. But Yeah. I, the one thing I come away with, it just sounds naive. And that's, I, that's not what they're, you know, they want killers. They want like serious adult people and not just sort of naive people with strong political ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can always uh, join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. Um, on Twitter, you can also follow us at Thinking LSAT. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at NFox. Uh, I'm over 1,000 subscribers on Twitter now. Oh, wow. I've actually been using it sometimes. Wow, I might have yeah, like five or six. Th- I wonder where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anyways, yeah, I'm at Infox on Twitter. Dude, I might just go on to Twitter to see what's going on with you these days. Um, yeah. Our joint project is LSAT Demon. That's LSATdemon.com. Uh, we've talked about it a few times on the show. We continue to make it better every day. Nathan is teaching live classes, adding new explanations. So are all the wonderful people working for us, including Jackson, Becca, Annalisa, Matt, I just can't name them all right now, but thank you to all of them. And uh, I'm working on Demon 2.0. I uh, just had a call actually right before with Stefan and um, Subin, who are in Sweden and India, respectively. But anyways, everybody's wow. working hard to make it better and better for you all. So thank you for joining and using it and having patience with us as we continue to improve it. Our website for the podcast is thinkinglsat.com. That was episode 256 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. 
Thank you.